Five, four, three, two, one. Right, hello, children. Welcome to episode number five of the On My Dime On Your Time podcast. Here is my conversation with multiple-time WAL champion arm wrestler Todd Hutchings. He's an absolute beast. If you're interested in strength sports or arm wrestling in any way, make sure to Google this guy if you don't know him already. He's a super nice guy. We talked about the mindset lifestyle and stuff associated with training it's a side of todd you probably don't know about if you've only seen his matches it's a great episode and i hope you guys enjoy mr hutchings how are you i'm doing well how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good um usually for these podcasts i like to introduce the guest in like a little bit of a clip that i um i make before but how about you introduce yourself because i think for people who know you that you don't need an introduction but i think for people who are new to the world of arm wrestling they need to know who you are so how about you introduce yourself for me all right um todd hudgings you uh type dodd type toddzilla arm wrestling into google and you will find everything you need to know about me um 220 pound i've been middleweight champion in america russia poland Probably Bulgaria. No, not Bulgaria. I came in second. Anyways, I've been around the world and I've been all over the country arm wrestling for about 20 years now. Amazing stuff, man. What about like, what do you do for a living besides, besides arm wrestling? Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I've been doing that for probably 25, 30 years now. And before arm wrestling came on, I was mostly like bow hunting, backpacking, hunting, fishing, that sort of stuff. Um, once arm wrestling became lucrative, I, you know, I, I took that on as almost a second job. So I spend not as much time arm wrestling as I do, you know, being an engineer, but, uh, significant about a 30, about a third of the time I'm an engineer, I'd spend about that uh, arm wrestling. So, awesome. you know, 20 some hours a week easily. Wow. It's like a part-time job pretty much. It's like a part-time, if it paid more, it would be a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you start in arm wrestling and like as a mechanical engineer as well? Cause I think that side of you is very interesting as well. Uh, I, I, I graduated, um, Purdue university with a master's degree in, in early nineties, like in 92. And I didn't start arm wrestling until 2000. And it was mostly a, I was back in the gym doing like a bodybuilding routine sort of stuff, midlife crisis, trying to lose the the belly we all, well, not the belly we all develop, but the belly us Midwestern guys develop when we have an office job. And I was heavily into archery at the time. And the internet was just new. We didn't even have a Google yet. We had Yahoo search. So I was searching for uh, archery tournaments and it was listed alphabetically. And there's an arm wrestling tournament um, one town over. So I decided to go to it and, uh, did all right, got hooked, didn't know it was like a real thing at the time, but I said, oh, there's like a state championship in this. It would be cool to win that championship. And then, you know, my kids would have, when my kids were born and grown up, they'd have my state championship trophies. So I set out uh, as a goal to win that state championship. And then arm wrestling like exploded. Uh, they started having tournaments in Vegas again. They started filming, filming the Pulling John movie. And all of a sudden, there's bigger tournaments and there's bigger money in it. And then I moved to South Carolina and got into the really, really good team. And it just, I just fell into it at, at the exact right time. <laughs> I mean, had I 
had I gotten into it five years earlier, I probably would have quit before it exploded. And had I got into it five years later, I probably wouldn't have been able to catch up. So it just really worked out for me. Perfect timing. Awesome. Absolutely. I was blessed that it happened that way. Yeah. What kind of engineer are you? I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay. I got, I went to Michigan Tech University and nice. I went to Purdue University. Okay. Awesome. Um, with regards to like mindset and stuff, how is your mindset towards training and just like, I don't want to say the way you see yourself because I hate the word self-esteem. I think it's stupid, but like, how is that like changed as you progress through the rankings of arm wrestling? Uh, in the beginning, it's, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of visualization in arm wrestling because you got to, um, I mean, there isn't weightlifting anyways, and arm wrestling is heavily dependent on weight training. So you got to be mentally focused to push the heavier weights up. But when you're facing an opponent, you really don't know. He's got options of what he can do. So in the beginning, I was just trying to fine tune my bread and butter moves, you know, what I'm going to launch with and what I'm going to do if that doesn't work. Um, but as I got older, and then as we got into super matches, you know, and then as the internet exploded, you can find all kinds of film on an opponent. So now you can develop a strategy way before you ever meet the guy. So as soon as they announce an opponent, I can develop a YouTube playlist for him, develop a plan A, a plan B, and then I can completely tailor my training around those two things. So I get my visualization going months before the match happens and then at the actual match all i got to do is just calm down the nerves when uh people are trying to give me last minute advice people are trying to redirect me re-coach me i just got to focus on that what i've done and what i did months ago is going to pay off and uh you know hopefully any last minute adjustments or something i have to make aren't from the losing side it's just the, you know it's from an endurance side but yeah, it it happens months, of, you know, months, months before the match. By the time the match gets there, you know, it's like taking your final exams. All the work you've done is behind you. Now it's just a matter of just sitting down and managing your time. Absolutely. Do you prefer the old, like the older way of it where it's like everything's pretty much spontaneous? You don't know how your opponent's going to work? Or do you prefer the new way where you can kind of tailor your training towards your opponent's weaknesses and to boost up your strengths? The, uh, it, it the whole level of arm wrestling's really stepped up, and I don't know if I could go back back to the old way now, because especially now that I'm a super heavyweight. When I was a middleweight, I was probably one of the stronger people in the class. I could afford to make mistakes and 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 come back. But now that I'm in the super heavyweight class, if I wasn't able to develop a couple of strategies ahead of time, I wouldn't be competitive. So, I mean, back in the '80s, before the internet and stuff, I would probably my loss ratio would probably go through the roof, you know, because you had to, you'd have to arm wrestle somebody three or four times before you figured out what might work. But now you can watch um, all kinds of film on them. And not only that, on their Facebook, you get to see what they think's funny, what they think's cool, what triggers them, what they, you know, so you can, uh, you know, during the, the shit talking part of the buildup, you know, you can find out, well, if this guy's like a big, you know, super liberal or something, you can start making Trump jokes, or if he's a big bleeding, or if he's an ultra conservative, you can start making Kamala Harris jokes at him. So you can kind of start messing with him, you know, months ahead of time. And as long as you do it subtly, 
and uh nobody else knows what you're doing you know and they just get mad that's what you kind of want is you want somebody getting distracted and coming into it very angry as opposed to very focused so you, know, you can start making fun of camaros for instance if that's what they love <laughs> oh man yeah there's a real mental aspect to the sport that i don't think a lot of people realize so that's that's news to me as well yeah well it's the the later league it's not so much overseas where they treat it as a pure athletic contest but in the states and in well in north america because canada too it's this they're trying to build this big entertainment visual spectacle for an audience you know so they want you know we want the duck dynasty fans to watch we want the the holly the hollywood wives you know we want people who don't know anything about arm wrestling watching so they they promote these big rivalries and all this talk and these big bigger than life characters so you know so everybody's developing, everybody's on social media, developing a brand, putting out videos, trying to get likes, trying to get hearts. And then you go, man, I could just super troll these people now. <laughs> you know, I can like, like if they post a video of them working out, you can go and make a comment and go, eh, I've seen bigger. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, some guys wrist curl and you go find a, a video of Sarah Bachman curling more and you post that. You know, <laughs> you can just mess with them the whole time. Oh man, yeah, crazy stuff, man. Yeah, the way I see it, you're very internally driven. Like you're, it's very like within you to like do well. Is that is that a fair assumption to make? It's a it, it's a very individual sport. I mean, people train in groups and stuff, but you're up there by yourself. So I, I think you'll find that on anybody who's really dedicated to it, that we're all motivated uh, personally. You know, because it because. You know, we're doing we're doing the training alone. We're doing the work alone. We're cutting weight by ourselves. You know, there's not a lot of support out there uh, to get to the higher levels. You know, the at the lower levels, the play the play at the state or national levels, you can get teams together and you can have your practices are like parties and stuff. But if you truly want to um, be in the top, like if you want to be at the world level, it it takes a whole lot of dedication. In order to do that, you got to be motivated. You can't. Um, and there's not that many world ranked folks around to commiserate with and train with, you know, like if you're a, a pro level football player, or a soccer player, there's a lot of people at that level you can hang out with, but you know, in arm wrestling, since it's not that popular about the only people you can get support from are probably people you're going to compete against in order to be at that level, you know? So the whole thing's kind of tricky at that level, you know? Yeah. The sport seems fairly like close knit with its athletes, right? Like, Devin launched his app Armbet. Like, I'm sure you know about that. And like, I see everyone in the community seems to like help one another. Even in like the WAL matches, you see like the other greats in their respective categories in other people's corners and stuff. So it's a very like it's a very good sport in that sense. Like, it's a lot of camaraderie. Right, because we all trained each other to get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're a, if you're a top level arm wrestler. You you get you need to spar with these people you need to talk to them you need to train with them and like i said you're gonna end up competing with them so it's uh i mean there's a there's a few that get that uh kind of play on the fringes but for the most part like you could pick anybody out of a hat um well me and devin lorette are good friends and we compete against each other you know, me and Ron Bath have known each other for decades and we compete against each other. It was a lot easier and we we're all in different weight classes. Mm -hmm. But when the big money tournaments come around and we're all focused together, 
I mean, you'll see if you look uh, at a tournament so much, probably not in a super match format, but you'll see the top three or four people in any class usually sitting next to each other up until their weight class starts. Then they kind of set away from each other, you know? Yeah. Do you have any mentors in the sport or in, in even in life, honestly, that have like helped you through the, through anything? I've had several. Um, when I first started after my first tournament, a gentleman named Stephen Green out of Sparta, Michigan, got me started. Um, I trained with the Fruitport, Michigan boys for about a year, moved to South Carolina, that whole South Carolina team, Chad Silvers, Fritz Corey, all, all of those guys um, helped me. They, they actually got me up. They jumped me up a level. I've trained with uh, John Brzezink for three years when we lived in Utah and Arizona. Uh, then I was kind of established then, but even now I drive to Maryland. Dave Morocco has these big practices. I trained with, uh, you know, I trained with Marcio Barbosa at Dave Morocco's house. All the all the middleweights still, um, we pull against each other every once in a while. So I, I still I still go. Dave Chafee's one of the people in my weight class, you know, that I got to compete against. And I've been to his house, wow. trained with him. Uh, yeah, so I got lots of mentors and. You know, so knowing that, you try and pay it back. So I hope I help other people when they ask. I answer all my messenger requests. I answer all my messages. Anybody who, who contacts me, if they ask questions and stuff, I try to I try to respond to them. Are you on any other podcasts? I did a quick search on Spotify. I didn't see you, like, too much. Neil Pickup's had a few. Oh, yeah. Um, what happens is the podcasts start and then go away. So I've been on Neil Pickup's a couple of times for the WAL. There was one called Hand Control or Hand Control Incorporated or something. I'd been on theirs a couple of times. Okay. There's one called Arm Busters League. I just did theirs like a month or so ago. Um, let's see. Who else? Of course, Ryan Espy and Chris Gobby had one. So I, I did theirs. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I've done, I don't know, probably a dozen or so. Awesome. What's some questions you wish more people like ask from you? I'm sure you get a lot of like this, like similar questions regarding training. So what's something you would like, if, if you could control, like what's something you wish I'd ask you and like something you wish more people knew about you or something to that degree? Oh, I don't know if anybody needs to know more about me, but I wish beginners would, I wish beginners would stop keep, keeping score in practice and what beginners should do is pick one or two tournaments that they actually want to compete in and just one or two a year and spend the rest of their time and money traveling to other practices to meet older, more established athletes because they would be glad to help them and they would learn it, learn that sport way quicker. And I wish they, they never ask, but I wish people would ask me what I think about novice and amateur classes because I hate them and I think it's ruining this. I think it's ruining a lot of people. I really wish we would stop holding novice and amateur classes because none of us are truly professional arm wrestlers. We're just old arm wrestlers. So, and I think those novice and amateur classes just, man, when somebody spends a couple of years in that class and they show talent, you got to unteach them and untrain a whole bunch of crap they learn because they're learning from other people who don't know you know uh that's the only but i understand why they hold novice and amateur classes because if your whole revenue stream is on entry fees or something you need that but there should be a a way around that 
you know, I don't, I don't know, but yeah, amateur and novice classes are, are terrible in arm wrestling. They're yeah. just, they have no redeeming value at all. Mm-hmm. You said, you said earlier that there is like, they have to unlearn some things if someone's really good in amateur or novice. Are there two different schools of thought, like between the amateur and within like the more like professional level? There is. And at the amateur level, it's this win at all costs, strive for victory over excellent stuff. So they'll learn these nasty habits that are, they think they can like, Oh, I'm cheating the grip or, um, um, controlling the setup or something you know and then uh, so then they 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 think like they're johnny badass or something and then somebody who's just been arm wrestling for a year just crushes all of that you know and they keep trying to they keep trying to strive back to what worked in the in the peon classes and you try and say well dude that's only going to work against peons (laughs) you know you still got to do the work you know there aren't any tricks to figure out in a sport that's a thousand years old and requires almost zero equipment you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i mean it's a sport of hard work i mean we're we require a little more equipment than running but there aren't no tricks to foot races all right you just got to do the work you know? yeah absolutely now uh, we're basically a foot race if you were like tied to somebody <laughs> other than that, I mean, we're a pretty basic hard work driven strength based sport yeah, or game. It depends. I don't know whether it's a sport or a game. I'm not in that debate, but I, 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 I think it's funny either way. So. Yeah, honestly. Um, for any like aspiring arm wrestlers or people who want to compete, what are some recommendations you have for training or just ways to like, yeah, for training, let's say. This is partly a question for me because I kind of want to get into it and partly for the, the listeners. So, If there was a young, expiring athlete that wanted to get into arm wrestling, I would say, first, make sure you are no good with any sport that involves a ball because they pay a lot more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. If After that, you still want to be an arm wrestler, and who wouldn't because there's free T-shirts. So we love those. Um you need a you need a uh, logical, rational based strength training regimen. Do not invent one. Weight training has been around for centuries. Find one you like and use it. And when it stops working, find another one. Stop inventing exercises. Other than that, travel around and pull as many experienced arm wrestlers as you can take their advice but do not take their workouts their workouts are what they're doing for them their workouts what they are doing today are not what they did when there was a beginner and you're going to get a whole bunch of conflicting advice if devin lorette comes on your podcast right after mine his training philosophy is completely opposite to mine but they both worked for us so you got to figure out what works for you and and then just be realistic. It takes about three years to be a national level arm wrestler, depending on your weight class. If you're in the 155, 150, 165 class, it'll probably take a little more than three to four years to be a national level puller with a, with a rational based weight training program and actual, you know, a, a good arm wrestling mentor where you've learned it. If you're a super heavyweight, 
probably take two to three years. You know, the competition, the depth in the super heavyweight classes is not as deep as it is in the lightweight classes. So if you say, look, I want to be at this level in three to four years and I'm going to, I'm going to train hard. I'm going to measure my, I'm going to measure how strong I am. I'm going to figure, I'm going to be honest about what my weaknesses are. And I'm going to go arm wrestle these top notch guys and listen to what they say. At, at that point, it's just a matter of putting in the work. It's, you know, the fundamentals are pretty there. You need to be able to pull backwards, forwards, and sideways, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's hand and wrist driven. You got to get your hand and wrist stronger. There's, you know, you can pull without a hand or a wrist, but you're eventually, every, we all train our hands and our wrists and we all train our shoulders. So Absolutely. it's not that hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't, you were talking with like Ryan Bowen and you were saying like, did you follow what was it West side that you followed before you got into West side barbell is a, it, that's a powerlifting system that I found in 2000s, it was recommended to me by a professional powerlifter, and I just he owned the gym I was training in. So that was a that's a methodology that I love, um, and I follow and I followed ever since. I followed their basic strategy. I can't follow their their actual workouts because their workouts are based around the bigger muscle groups: benching, deadlifting, squatting. And we're you know we're more worried about forearms, biceps, shoulders, triceps, but they're. Uh, their fundamental strategy and how they use a max day, a speed day, volume days, isometrics. I incorporate all that. There are other powerlifting routines out there. Um, I would follow them. I would not follow any bodybuilding routine whatsoever because they're not strength-based. But powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, these strongman competitors, they're, you know, those guys all know how strong they are. And a one rep max is the purest way of knowing how strong you are. And if your one rep max is not going up every week or every two weeks, you need to change something because other people are getting stronger every single week. So you need to get stronger every week. We can argue about which method makes you stronger faster. But if the argument is I'm powerlifting and you're bodybuilding, that argument isn't who's getting stronger. I'm getting stronger, you're getting bigger. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. And bigger doesn't win matches, stronger does. Absolutely. I mean, Devin's kind of an example. Like he's, he's huge, absolutely. But like he doesn't have the, the biggest like biceps maybe on his frame. Maybe this is a bad example, but like he's not, an he doesn't have like enormous arms like say Jerry Cataret, Michael Todd, or Wagner, for example, right? That's just, that's all part of the training. Well, that's part of the fact that, you know, Devin's, Devin's truly a probably a solid, legit 220, 230-pound puller. He's just in the super heavyweight class yeah. now. Mm -hmm. But um, starting with John Brzezink, arm wrestling's changed because as the money came into it, more athletes came into it. The super heavyweights have consistently gotten bigger. Super heavyweights used to be a 265, 270-pound guy. You know, I remember when the 300 pounders first started showing up in what super heavyweight classes, they would, you know, when you consider Michael Todd's not 300 pounds, you know, when the 300 pounders first started showing up, that was, that was a, a tide change in the sport. Now there's 400 pound people walking around, you know, the super heavyweights have just gotten crazy big and they've gotten a whole lot stronger as a result of it too. You know, um, I remember it was one of the UAL tournaments. 
it was the first time I ever shot, saw Sean Latimer in person. And I didn't know him at the time. I just saw him standing there. And it was Sean Latimer, this fella out of New Orleans. I'd recognize his name if somebody told me. He pulled that tournament, but I haven't seen him since then. And somebody else. But there was like three, 400-pounders standing there with Jerry Cataret. And Jerry Cataret looked like me. You know what I'm saying? I was like, he was the big, for a long time, he was one of the biggest men in the sport. And I'm saying, he's standing next to three people that were all north of 400 pounds, you know? And I was there with Bob Brown. I go, Bob, look at that. He goes, <laughs> I go, what the hell happened? You know, because, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, John Brzezink was the baddest man on the planet, you know, and he's like a 220, 230 pound person, you know, and, yeah. and John beat a lot of 300 and 400 pound people. I mean, I'm not taking away from John, but damn, nowadays, man, it's nothing to see 400 pound men, you know, and I remember the first time I saw my first one, you know, and I was like, 40 years old before I saw a 400 pound man. Yeah, monsters like Levon walking around. You're just like, how? Yeah. Like, I don't. Uh, it's ridiculous, man. Yeah, people taller than 6'5 are, con I mean, the, the super heavyweights are going to need their own table because you're not going to be able to put these 6'8, 400 pound people on that same arm wrestling table. You know, it, yeah. it's just their heads are going to be touching each other. I know. It's ridiculous, <laughs> man. All right, last training question, I promise. Like, do you still follow, West, like, Westside, like, principles and stuff in your training? And do you, like, still use, like, the big three? Or do you, are you very focused, like, still? Not only do I still follow it, my speed day, max day, and volume day are still Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And they've been that way for about 17 years. Beautiful. <laughs> you know? I reconfigure my, uh, my weight training routine about every four to six months to add and subtract exercises. But... The day I'm back on arm wrestling, now we're talking arm wrestling training. Now, when I was at a middleweight, I didn't do any benching, squatting, deadlifting, or rows because I was trying to, you know, I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't put on a lot of mass. But now that I'm a super heavyweight, I've added several uh, workouts. But I've been doing six workouts a week on my arms since two. Day has always been the same three days. I've never, I've, that's never been altered. Um. Isometrics, plyometrics are always in the evenings. Uh, yeah, that same basic. And I can track personal records, PRs, uh, not every single week, but nine out of 10 weeks, I'll hit a PR. Now, it might not be a lot. I might have added a pound to a 100-pound lift, or I might have added, you know, uh, one and a half pounds to a 120-pound lift. But I'm telling you, man, as long as I'm make, as long as I'm lifting more weight every single week, somehow I'm getting stronger, you know. Um, in the weeks I drop it, I sit back and look, and I go, if I if I don't set a PR two weeks in a row, I come back, I change something, I add a whole bunch of volume to what I think's the weak spot, and then just start grinding it away. So it's uh, yeah, I I've met other, you know. Um, Sean Latimer's a big accomplished power lifter. Uh, Scott Mendelson, they all come in arm wrestling. I've talked to them about training a little bit. These guys get paid a lot of money to coach other power lifters. They don't give a, they don't give a, a lot of shit away for free, but they're not West Side Barbell people. Mm. But, but they've all developed, um, you know, training and philosophies that work for them. So no matter who you are, you can find a program or a strategy that's going to work for you. Mm. Um, I just loved Westside because 
I love the fact that I record how strong I am that day. And if I'm not stronger next week, <laughs> you know, I'm going to change something. To me, the simplicity of that is, uh, hell, if I could add horsepower to my car that way, I would do it, man. If I added three horsepower every week to my car, that Absolutely. would be great, you know? Yeah. That kind of speaks to, like, this whole, like, it was kind of more of a thing last year, but everyone was talking about overtraining and stuff. Like, this kind of really speaks to that. You train your arms six days a week, and you're doing fine. You're doing amazing, right? It's I am. I think there are there are far more undertrained arm wrestlers than overtrained. I believe it's possible to overtrain. I don't believe most arm wrestlers have done it. Mostly, what a lot of arm wrestlers consider overtraining is they get on the table to they get on the table a bunch of times and they get sore and they start bitching. I've I've done table time sometimes three times of anywhere from once every three months to three times a week. Um, I, I've never, I've never changed my West side barbell stuff. I've gone into the gym beat up after table being on the table the night before I've gone down there hung over. I've gone down there partially drunk and drinking. And I'm telling you, I can still set a PR on most of those nights that 90% of the time setting a PR holds pretty consistent. Um, the one time I think I was overtraining, uh, I was doing 14 workouts a week. I was doing three a day for three weekdays, then, then one or two a day. And I think I just flat wasn't getting enough sleep. So in order to go make the evening trainings, I'd drink like three or four cups of coffee and grind it out. And I think I just, I think what was happening was it was just reducing the amount of sleep I was getting. Um, Cause then I would miss a workout or something or uh, a weekend and then I'd feel rejuvenated, but I, I felt my endurance was through the freaking roof. My strength might not have been going up, but my work capacity was amazing, you know? So even when I was overtraining, right, in the fact that my absolute force wasn't going up, I felt my capacity and endurance was. So at which point, you know, sometimes you want to, sometimes you would trade max force for endurance. So it's uh i'm not a big fan of people claiming they're overtraining and i know how hard i train and my philosophy was i go look at the europeans and the russians the bulgarians they're training harder than anybody and i just want to train harder than they do mm -hmm. and if you've watched any television when the olympics are on tv or when they do these behind the scenes with the ufc fighters or the documentaries on the strongmen, those guys are routinely in the gym three to six hours a day. You know, I, I know Sarah Bachman's got to work out once or twice a week where it's almost four hours a, a day. My workouts are 90 minutes tops, all right? I think if you're in the gym for an hour, an one, to, one to one and a half hours at a clip, I'm not so sure how you're going to be overtraining. I just don't unless you're just training unless you're making up shit and you know and tearing your arms apart or tearing tendons or something because you've invented some exercise or some stupid pulley or some stupid machine which just throws your joints out of whack then you're you're not so much overtraining as you're just physically like destroying the body you were born with you know and yeah, then they'll make their excuse like oh i'm training the joints in that position so if i get yeah. thrown in that position during a match i'll be ready but that's just bullshit like we both know that 
Yeah, but I'd be willing to argue if I created a machine that like separated my elbow joint when I moved, if I stuck with it, I think my body would eventually accommodate that and then I would be stronger there. But you know, first, but if you are physically like working against the way your body's designed, I think the body accommodates shit like that, you know? Um, I, I think the human body's ability to overcome and, and adapt to stuff like that's amazing. I, I don't think we've seen the potential yet. I mean, I was around in my lifetime, the first thousand pound squat, the first thousand pound bench press happened. They don't show any signs of slowing down. Nothing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, a hundred years from now, are we looking at, you know, a fifteen hundred pound bench press for crying out loud? <laughs> you, know? you saw like the nearly eight hundred pound raw bench, right? Recently. Yeah. I I I can't even fathom that. Like, I I, I deadlift like four hundred pounds, and he's like benching seven or like oh, eight, I and I'm like. I remember when big high school kids were like 160 pounds. They got high school kids that weigh 300 pounds now. I mean, I, the, what these humans are gonna look like years from now is amazing. I, there was something, I, was at, I forgot what museum I was in, but the Spartans, you know, uh, like the ancient Greeks, those warriors, the, like the, what was, what's that movie, the 300? Yeah. I think the average Spartan was like 5'2". You know, but in our movies are these big badass guys. It's now, you know, now our eighth graders are five two. I just think I just think people are just gonna get bigger and stronger forever. Oh my god, man! It's gonna it's gonna be crazy, man. Just the level of competition and stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be amazing. Oh man. Um. Going back to like the whole mindset thing, like you were saying, like with regards to training, when you were overtraining, that you would like you wouldn't progress and stuff. Like, did you like during that point in your life, did you find like a loss of motivation for like for training or anything like or anything into like relating to that? Yeah, and that's and that's what what I was more worried about it than the PRs not happening was I just wasn't motivated. So I would. First, I started changing the routine around to where I enjoyed it more. Mm -hmm. Then I do something that's, I don't tell people to do this yet. And I've been doing this for about two years now. So I, I don't know if it works. So I'm just gonna tell you what I'm currently doing. Now, when I lack motivation and it's getting harder, uh, especially during COVID nothing's happening. And it got really hard when I got in the super heavyweights where I, where I could no longer see a clear path to the championship. So now I think I'm just going to be in this weight class, constantly just missing out and getting beat up all the time. So now what I'm doing is I'm adding exercises to my routine that I hate, that I absolutely hate with a passion. I hate kettlebell swings. They're like, to me, I would rather do anything else than swing kettlebells. And I hate doing uh, rear shoulder work. And I force myself to do those. Even if, even if I feel shitty and I don't want to work out at all, I go down and do those exercises. And I force myself to do more of those than I did last time, only because I think it's making me tougher mentally. So I'm going to go down. I'm going to, and, and those are just the work. I hate those exercises with a passion. I'd rather do anything else. And instead of avoiding them, I'm just going to grind them out, you know, and say, well, at least I'm doing the work. So, but the motivation of tricking yourself into wanting to do it all the time 
watching the uh, my opponent's um, playlist that I create helps motivation, you know. I used to. <laughs> I used to when the alarm would go off, and I'd, cause I'd, I was when I was working out twice twice a day. Um, getting up in the morning was always hard, and the thought was that if the coffee wasn't already brewing, I didn't think I could get up and do it. But I'd lay there, and the alarm would go off, and uh, and I'm thinking about turning it off and staying back in bed, and my wife would go, "Dave Chafee's probably up in training right now." <laughs> Oh, I go. Oh, well, then why don't you go marry Dave Chafee? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So that's what I do. So I go, okay. <laughs> oh man, has like has the intense competition and affected your mental, like your men- mental health in like in a po- in a negative or positive way in any in any sense? Uh, not negatively. About the one thing that this this tough competition has done, it's probably I've only got a few regrets in my life. One was not going farther in my education, and the other was, and I know I know I'm on here because I'm an arm wrestler, but I kind of wish I would have tried a different sport because if I did this well in this sport, I kind of wish I would have tried my hand at a sport that would have like, I don't know, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of tens of thousands of dollars, you know? So it was like, when you, when you achieve, when you set a goal and achieve it, one of the unforeseen side effects is, damn, imagine if you would have chose a bigger goal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, if you climb Kilimanjaro, you should have said, "Man, I could have spent that time preparing for Everest." You know? Yeah. So always, it's always fleeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, I uh, um, and to get, you know, and to get to that goal, you fail a whole bunch of times, and you try stuff, and it don't work out, and you're and you're always you're always facing your nerves and whether or not you're good enough and sometimes you pull it out sometimes you don't so it makes it makes trying new things really not that stressful i still got i still got kids who haven't tried a lot of stuff and sometimes they get nervous at a job interview or trying something they haven't done before and you just go "Eh, if you fail you fail you try it again other you know like mickey mouse had it right just keep try try again you know Absolutely. It all works out. It's really not that bad. It seems nerve-wracking when you first try it, but you go, you know, it's really not that bad. You, you get beat up some, but at the end, you did stuff. You know, if you do something, something happens. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of the things I've learned during quarantine, actually. It's interesting that you said that. It's like, try th- try as much as you can, and don't be afraid to fail as soon as you can, because you know it's not for you, and it's one thing off the list that you're not going to be good for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and if you fail at something, you know, if you pick up something like, I don't know, let's try something that you could that you could learn yourself and you didn't. So, like, I'm going to learn a new instrument, and I practice and I try. But once you educated yourself on it, you're now smart enough to ask somebody for help. But until you failed, you can't even ask anybody for help. <laughs> you know? And a lot of times, if you do something and you're no good at it, and you talk to somebody, they go, well, all you had to do was this, and then it's so much better. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you, once you learn stuff, 
you get better at learning. And that was one thing I learned in college. When I first entered college, I, I was not a good high school student. So college was, college was, was rough. But towards the end, you get better. I mean, I got better at learning. And at the end, I go, man, I bet you there's not a single course in this university I can't pass. Because you learn how to study, you learn how to manage your time, you learn how to read the teacher. And so that's the same thing with physical training. Um, once I started getting stronger, I learned, I got better at getting stronger, you know? So it's, like I said, that, I mean, it's amazing how the body adapts, but the mind adapts the same way. The, the brain, the brain figures stuff out, man. And the more you work it, it's like the better it gets. Yeah. I'd argue the mind adapts faster than the body. I think so. Because sometimes you got to disconnect it if you're going to do something physically hard on your body. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I mean, that's the basis of overtraining is your brain, your central nervous system trying to protect the body. Mm-hmm. So a lot of all these powerlifting routines are a way of getting around the, you know, the central nervous system's natural, um, not inclination or instincts, but, you know, you stress the body, the body's either going to get better to overcome it, or it's going to retract to not suffer any damage. Well, you got to, you got to keep the body constantly overcoming to adapt it. So the West, the West side barbell systems method of that, he calls it the conjugate system. It's this constant variation. You're constantly doing max effort work, but in an exercise, your body's not ready to, to accommodate yet. Um, you know, other systems are you sneak up on the weight or you like, you like, you sneak around it, you add volume, you subtract volume, you know, it's, but it's all around getting around the body's natural defenses of just basically protecting itself. Mm-hmm. Like, and you got to do that with your brain too. So if you're constantly throwing new shit into your brain you know your brain just goes well okay let's just you know let's learn enough to get this dude off my back absolutely (laughs) you know you're a genius in a whole bunch of things Mm -hmm. that's why like it's again another thing i've learned this quarantine it's like the comfort zone sucks like get out of that as many times as you can every every day if you can just get out of it expand your expand your your circle so you can become better I got a tattoo for, I got the word now tattooed on me just so I can have a reminder just to get things done now. It's like, it's like the best thing I've done as the worst thing I've done because I have this constant reminder to just get shit done and to get out of bed when it's just so easy just to not. And now you're going, oh, I wish I would have had this tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish I would have had like, I don't even know, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm happy. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Like, I should have gotten that Molly Cyrus tattoo. Now I got now tattooed on my body. I don't know what I was thinking, trying to be deep and motivational, man. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. I I just want to say this, like, off the record. It looks like one in the mirror. So, nobody, so you can always say that. Yeah, it looks like dot. Now tattooed, but in the mirror, it says one. Yeah, it's like I, I kind of made it, I guess. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to say this off the air. I didn't invite you on because you're an arm wrestler. I invited you on because I admire your mindset and the way like you carry yourself around like competition and stuff. That's why I invited you on, not just because you're like a high level arm wrestler. Oh, that's that's. Okay. I appreciate that, but yeah. you wouldn't know me. You wouldn't know me if I wasn't an arm wrestler. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. It's. it's just the internet, man. Just get yeah. gets connected. I don't have 5,000 Facebook friends because I'm an engineer. <laughs> so. yeah. Even on your Instagram, you have like, what, one and a half K? Yeah. And I, I, 
in my Instagram, I try to put non-arm wrestling stuff. So yeah. I try to put arm wrestling on Facebook and non-arm wrestling. I try to put my jokes and stuff on Instagram, but it's a, uh, I don't know how people maintain all that stuff, man. There is so much time in that. <laughs> oh my god, it's the it's such a waste of time, man. Honestly, I'm I'm trying to like cut back on social media, but it's it's hard, man. It's like that dopamine response just kicks in. You're just like, I have to use it. Right. Yeah. I don't even know, man. It's ridiculous. Um, what are some takeaways that you've learned in arm wrestling or in training that like have carried over to like your job or being a parent or other aspects of your life or vice versa even? Um, the one thing, a, a couple of times in my career, I had a legitimate claim that if I wasn't the best, I was certainly in the top two or three best in the world. And that's pretty amazing no matter what it is you do. So it's, um, and it would be really easy to like, flaunt that you know and and say that so i try really hard not to make a big deal out of it but it does help me when um because i was a boy scout leader for a while when both my boys were in boy scouts and and as a as an engineering manager i'm constantly hiring new kids out of school and you got to mentor them up to uh to make them productive and stuff in the job but it's uh just to constantly strive to be like the world best and knowing that to be honest it's just even if you don't have a very good plan hard work gets you really really close hard work a little bit of luck and some leadership and motivation will get you there so it's uh i just it it it, it prevents you from just having a a sad or an angry um disposition or a personality you go, well, yeah, shit, shit sucks right now, but boy, in time, it can get a whole lot better. And all you got to do is just do the work, you know? There's a, even in, in life, that's just, that's just one of the lessons that, like, my dad taught, like, my dad's, like, teaching me every day. It's like, it sucks now. Put your head down and just work, and it will get better. Yeah. It doesn't always get easy, but oh. it always gets easier. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that probably taught you like a lot of humility as well. Like not like flaunting your victories and stuff. You got to You got to keep the humility. You always got to keep the humility there, especially when you get near the top. Cause if you're, when you're climbing the ranks, you, you fall back, you fail, that kind of stuff, but it really doesn't affect where you're at, you know, cause if, if you're climbing up, but boy, once you've made it to the top, any, any degradation in your performance, any setback is, it's huge because you're no longer on top, you know. It's one thing to be halfway up the mountain and you fall down and now you're only 30% up the mountain. But it's quite a bit different thing when you're at the top of the mountain and now you're back to 80% because now there's a whole bunch of people in front of you. So it's actually way more nerve-wracking to stay on top than it is to get there because when you're climbing, you got a lot more freedom to try different things and, and experiment. But once you're on top, you're scared to death to alter what got you there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't change, you're going to get knocked off fast because everybody else is learning from what you did and they're changing. So it, it's, um, it, it takes a lot of uh, motivation and fortitude to maintain a level of greatness, which is what makes these truly top athletes and performers and stuff, these people who like Stephen Hawking's and those folks who 
um, were great and were consistently great, you know, even if they messed up a few times. So, but you could be one of those, you know, you could be the Stephen Hawking's of podcasting, you know, once you explain time to the rest of us. <laughs> maybe one day, man, maybe one day. Um, have you always been very, like, very driven towards the goal, towards goals? I don't think so. I'll be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't remember too much of my life before I got married. I mean, I, I mean, I know my high school and stuff like that, but, uh, um, my phone's going dead. I gotta go grab a charger. Yeah, please. Um, no, I don't think I became goal oriented until, um, arm wrestling started and it, you know, at the beginning of arm wrestling, it wasn't even that important because it was just like a goof around thing. But when there became serious money in it, I think that's when I became goal oriented. And usually it was just to just get through this tournament without embarrassing yourself. So <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. after like a very intense, like competition or training session, like it happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you. you get like super like in your head. You're like very amped up, like adrenaline and stuff. What are some practices that you did to like return to like your baseline level of just being calmed? Like even just to like relax for the night or like to like deload after like a competition, just to like relax and just get back on with training or get back onto your normal routine. I, I'm usually back in the gym training within a day or two of a tournament, no matter win wow. or lose. Yeah, it's uh, I'm not a big fan of taking a lot of time off before the competitions, mm. and after a competition, you know, even if it's like overseas, sometimes it might take three or four days to get back, but I'm usually right back in the gym, and uh, not training super. I'm training. I'm not training at the same level I was, but I'm definitely okay. What could what should I done better? What should I do? And I reorganized the, the, the routine right then, mm -hmm. you know? So like I said, after I changed the routine every couple of months and I changed it after every competition. Awesome. Nice. Um, do, do you have like any like practices that you do like, like sort of like in like the frame of like meditation or something like self-development, like reframing, like that sort of like practice that you do like daily or weekly that you think other people could benefit from? I, I I don't know what reframing is. I visualize the hit and I, I visualize the hit I'm going to do. And that's, and that's mostly comes from watching the tape over and over again. I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah. So if I got to turn, if I got a match in three or four months and I know whether I'm going, you know, inside forwards or backwards, right. I'm training that, um, I set up exercises to develop that. I'm picturing that in my head the whole time I'm training. I'm picturing that all the way up to it. And then the hour or so after we weigh in, after the, the tournament has started, and I'm just waiting for my name to be called up, all I'm doing is picturing that. I'm picturing because they don't change the ref. So um, I know the ref. I'm picturing the ref saying, close your thumbs, close your hands, go boom, close your, you know. And uh, So – at the actual competition, all I'm looking at is to make sure the other guy isn't actually um, 
covering my thumb or jumping go. Other than that, the rest of the stuff is just instincts at that time. I'm no longer thinking about where my hit and my push is going to be at that point. It's, it's driven in so much because I can't, I can't be thinking about that because the match happens so fast. So that has to be automatic at that point. All I got, all I want to study is to make sure, um, you know, something not I want to say illegal but something that's not completely fair happens like in, like if he grips too high or if the ref's got us off center or if the ref's favoring one guy or another so but it's it's just visualizing that same that same thing over and over again oh and I also practice the um the victory acceptance speech you know I want to make sure I say something funny during that I'd hate to get up there and get asked a question and just go uh <laughs> so it's good to have three or four jokes you know in your back pocket you know, just in case you get a chance to use them awesome yeah visualization that's really that, that's really interesting when did you start doing that because i've never like i don't know too much about that i started doing it about my second or third year when i realized that you have to be super fast off go and i couldn't actually that's not true i learned that in archery Okay. Because archery is it's it's weird. Archery is a completely different sport. Because in in arm wrestling, you want to unleash all your power as fast as you can, and you really don't care what direction it goes, as long as you're so. In my mind, I'm you know I'm thinking like like driving a dragster, watching the lights flash, exploding, you know, punching somebody, something like that. But in archery, the trick is to be very calm. Like archery, well, all the shooting sports, it's breath control, it's target pit target visualization that sort of stuff so when i was shooting archery i tried to pretend like i was oh, this is gonna sound so silly okay? Okay, but it. i try to pretend like i'm like a tree that's not moving because all i want to do is i want to release that string and i don't want anything else to move right okay. but your whole you can't be tense because once you tense you start shaking so the whole idea is and uh my recurve bow is a hundred it's a hundred pound pull recurve bow so I draw it back and you can't hold it for very long, but you got to make sure the sight picture is exactly the where you wanted it. Your breath is exactly where you wanted it. And that at, at the string comes off your fingers, let your hand moving out of the way. So archery was constantly visualizing yourself being super, super calm, super relaxed. And they cover all this. And uh, there's that book of Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Well, that led me to there's a book called Zen and the Art of Arch Zen and Archery, and it's all about just being super super calm and shooting the, shooting this bow and arrow. So I just reversed all of that when I was arm wrestling and started like singing like Slayer songs in my head and stuff when I'm competing. <laughs> you said way earlier about like during ma during matches and stuff, you'd have people in your corner kind of like re coaching you in a way, and you'd like you really didn't like. You really weren't here for that because you basically did all the work and stuff, right? So right. Yeah, it's, it's too late when you want. And people will ask me to coach them at the last minute. And I'm always nervous because I don't, I don't, know, I, I, I don't know them well enough. And I wasn't prepared against their opponents. So I just I try to mostly tell them what I think the other guy is doing. That they, but, yeah, too many people come up to me. And, uh, and, and I'm sure this happens to everybody. But they're trying to. They're trying to tell you, give you advice, but it's too late at that point. 
you're at the top level. You know, I, I can't go in and change my game. I can't be working on something for three months. And then you come up and say, oh, do this other thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, first, I'll have to think about it, which will make me slow. Yeah. Second, it's not comfortable. So it's, it's, I'm not going to be fluid in it. I'm not going to be able to overcome and adapt it. You know, I got to go into the two or three things that I don't have to think about, that the body's just instincts are just going to take over. When you're put in that situation, how do you like return to center and just return to focusing on those three things? Because you get a bunch of like stimulus. How do you refocus on those, those few things? Oh, I got, I got, uh, I got songs playing in my head. And when people are talking to me, I'm just nodding my head like this. And then I'm not listening to them at all. You know, I mean, unless they're screaming at me, I, a lot of times I can't even hear them mm. um, during the match. And um, there's usually, I can usually hear one or two people who, who I've asked for help. But other than that, I don't hear the audience. I, I hear the ref. I don't hear any of the audience. I don't hear any of the announcers. And I hear the one person, uh, screaming for me and every once in a while i will hear the other corner giving advice to the other dude but uh it's yeah when, when you folk when you really really focus on something it's funny how almost all that stuff just drowns out you really i really can't hear it i mean that we might as well be arm wrestling in a library because wow. it's almost that quiet to me amazing uh, do you did you experience I, I i don't like talking too much about arm wrestling i know it's like that's all the questions that you ask but like Early on in the sport, did you experience that same level of like zen, as it were, during before a match? Just like everything goes quiet, you're very focused, or is that more? Is no, in the beginning, I was super nervous. I heard everybody. I heard everything, man. I could, I could hear some lady three three floors down complaining that there's a line at the bathroom. I heard everything. I was nervous about everything. I couldn't I couldn't react or do anything, yeah. you know that just takes time with competition. You just, you, you have to be in those high level competitions in order to uh, get comfortable with it. You know, and even if you're not comfortable with it, you got to figure out how to get through it, you know, but the same thing happens with, uh, you know, some people have test anxiety. Some people have performance anxiety, you know, I'll tell you one thing I couldn't, there's no way I would, I could ever get up on stage and sing karaoke that there is, that is absolutely not happening. I mean, you could, you can pick a song I know all the words to, and I would crawl up there and I wouldn't even be able to read the, the teleprompter. So, I mean, that's, that's a performance anxiety that, and I'm 54 years old and I can't overcome that. You know? Yeah. We all have those. Yeah. <laughs> happens to the best of us, man. Even people at your level, it happens to guys. No. Right. Um, do you, do you have like a morning routine or some practices that you have to do every day just to get your day started? Right. Uh, not, not so much. I've been, I've, my, my routines have been set for, so I probably did 15 years ago when I first started really training hard, mm. but, uh, for the most part, I've been getting up at four o'clock for 15 years. You know, so I mean, I wake up at four o'clock and if the alarm's not set, so get up, make the coffee, feed the animals, walk down to the gym, you know, that, that, that pretty much all takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. During like quarantine, I, I'm sure a lot of people have found it hard to either stick to their routine or establish a new one during the changing like landscape of just not having a job and stuff. So do you have any advice for people who like are, who want to start, but don't really have the right frame of mind to get 
that initial push going? That would be that would be rough if you're if quarantine locked you out of like if you had to go to a gym or if you had to um, go to some public place which is now closed. Mm -hmm. But I would think if you it would be hard, especially if you were a group, but for a solitary individual, which is what I am, you know, and I, I mean, my job solitary, my uh, um, extracurricular activities are all solitary. The, the quarantine really didn't, it, it really didn't affect me any. So all I could think of is the quarantine's probably teaching lots of people to be more, not solitary, but more comfortable being being alone doing things for themselves and by themselves and you know maybe i don't maybe just spending an hour by yourself walking or training or i mean even if you have to go to a gym or something like that maybe it's time to get a jump rope or some kettlebells or a dumbbell or start jogging you know on the street instead of in a track yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't really, like I said, this, the, the quarantine really didn't affect my life at all. I was all, evidently I was social distancing for 50 years. So I didn't notice when the rest of the country had to do it. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people could benefit from spending more time just on, like on their own? Do you think? I think so because, you know, I, I, I don't remember all this focus on bullying and self-esteem when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, we, we did a lot more things alone. I, th I think if you spend more time alone and are confident and sure of yourself, then I, I think that reduces other people's ability to affect your self-esteem or hurt you. And I, yeah, I, Especially, I, well, I don't want to say especially for young girls, but they seem to be bullied more than anybody else. But I think if you were just comfortable and confident in yourself, which usually comes from, you know, doing things that you're uncomfortable with and doing them alone. But I, I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it would hurt. It might help, but I certainly don't think it would hurt. <laughs> like a few of my friends are like very, very extroverted, right? And I feel like they rely on other extroverted friends to uh, like kind of as a social crutch to like, to boost them up to get to like that level of like being funny or being whoever like they are. So I think they could really benefit from that. It's very interesting that you said that. Yeah. These are people who, if they're having fun, it doesn't count if they didn't take pictures of it and post it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe some of these people should say, I'm going to go out and do something fun, and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to the Humane Society and hug a whole bunch of puppies, and I'm not going to take a picture of any of them. You not on maybe you can start that. doing stuff like that. Yeah. Honestly, man. Yeah. A lot of people need to, like, just... Just take time away from all this, like, extra stimulus and just be alone, honestly, man. I agree, because those people who post everything are just cluttering up my, my feed on Facebook, and I can't get to the funny stuff. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, one last thing. Do you, have any, do you have any book recommendations for me or for the, view, or for the listeners? 
The book that I first read about visualization is called The Power of Positive Thinking. Okay. I read it when I was in high school. Um, I'm not sure if it's, I don't know how good it would be today. I know when I was uh, 17, it affected me. Mm -hmm. um, there's this book called The Mastery of Hand Strength, which is just a good book because a lot of people don't know about just making your hands super crazy strong. So even if you don't have an interest in doing it, it would be worth reading that. And uh, then I would read, if you just, some of your, some of your smarter people won't have a trouble with this, but there is this, there's this book. It's a short little book. The theories of relativity always kind of drove me batty, the whole time travel thing. There's a little short book called Time and the Space Traveler, and it talks about Einstein's paper. It's a short book. It's easy to read, but it really, uh, it really made, I mean, I had to read it five or six times, you know, and I gave it to my nephew and he gave it back, you know, but so those would be the three books I'd have anybody read. Oh, and The Stand by Stephen King, which is probably a really good scary book. So those would be the four books. If I had to, if I was stuck on an island, those are the four books I would bring. Beautiful. Have you read, um, God, what's it called? Oh my God. Uh, it's by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's like, oh, astrophysics for people in a hurry. Have you read that? I have not, but I, um, I wished I would have gone to school to be a physicist. I've read a lot of books on quantum mechanics and astrophysics and I, and I watch all the Netflix movies on that. I haven't read Neil's book, but uh, I've uh, I've watched a lot of the documentaries. <laughs> yeah, highly, highly recommend that book. It it seems right up your alley. Okay. <laughs> yeah, give it a try. Um, that's pretty much it for all the questions I have. Thank you again for coming on. When it's up, send me uh, a link to it. I'll Absolutely. post it, and you, and you will have thousands of arm wrestlers wanting to be on your podcast. You will not be short uh, guests. And some of them will like what I said, but you, if you just want people to argue with me or call me names, you'll get thousands of those too. So awesome. you, can, you can fill up your schedule for as long as you need it. Um, last thing, where can people find you? I'm on Facebook and I'm on Facebook a lot. And I'm on Instagram when I got something funny that's not arm wrestling related to post. <laughs> so, Follow him but, on Instagram. He, he has like, he has like a photo of him holding a can and the can's like this big and it's the funniest. <laughs> and uh, people message, people hit me through messenger all the time. People who I don't know send me through messenger all the time. They ask me questions and advice and I've got to be on For the most part, I think I've answered everybody. If I, if I haven't answered you, it's just because you fell to the bottom of my list and I forgot. So send me, send me again. But I, I do maybe 20, 20 blind call, 20 blind messages a week. Awesome. Yep. All right, Todd, thank you again for coming. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. You call me anytime. <laughs>